Jamie Penzino has been around the, the college baseball world for Oh, what, we're going on two decades. Yeah, pretty, two decades plus, yeah. I think. It's a, definitely over 20 years. Yeah, no doubt. I think my first, so we won't say first college job was 98, your, so your you can do the math on that. Assumption? No, that was out that in California, uh, Pomona College. That's right, you NESCAT guy. Yeah, you, uh, it was a high academic you know, you D3 out there. Yeah, High academic. Yep. Yeah, so I figure Case probably hooked you up. But we're going to introduce Coach Penzino as, as he has enlightened us. Uh, with he is now two decades of college coaching experience from the Division three, the Division two, all the way up to the Division one. He has been a head coach at schools like William and Mary and Bryant Assumption, which is a Division two school, Northeast Ten school in Wista, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. He now calls East Tennessee State. University, his home. We're going to welcome in Jamie Pins. Thanks for joining us tonight, Captain. All right, I appreciate to be here. Thanks a lot for having me on. So one one thing I want to bring because it's really unique, at least in my in my opinion. And I know you get asked this question all the time, but I just had somebody ask me this question: How is it that your wife coaches <laughs> softball at West Point? I know you used to be there, but now you're at East Tennessee. I know you guys have been doing this for a while with the whole coaching at different schools. Yeah. How does that work exactly? Um, I got the best wife in the world. That's the trick to it. She's been, she's been great with the whole profession thing. And it, it isn't easy, obviously, you know, the distance piece. And, uh, you know, when we had a kid eight years ago, obviously that's another dynamic. It was, it was a heck of a lot easier when it was just the two of us to figure it out. And now with, with our son, it, it adds another dynamic. And obviously, you know, we will, at some point we'll figure things out and, you know, kind of get everybody together, but it, uh, you know, we just make it work. Like I think both of us have a passion for what we do. And I think part of what's made our relationship work is allow us to, you know, pursue those, you know, those goals and those dreams that we have in this profession. And I I think we both, I mean, she's a hell of a lot better coach than I am. I can promise you that, but we both had our share of successes and, um, you know, had a good run at this thing. So, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to do it with, without each other. I can tell you that, you know, it's, I mean, you know, as a, as a baseball coach, you know, the the family life, there's some sacrifice you got to make on that end. And, we've both had to make some of those sacrifices as much as anybody else, but she, she definitely makes it work and holds it all together. Yeah, I, I definitely can relate to that. And I, I often tell a story that, um, you know, I, a lot of coaches that ha- have had children, you, you being a dad, I remember getting a call while we were in a conference tournament from uh, Tyler and him telling me he hit his first home run over a fence and I missed it. And that was kind of the moment where mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the light went on. So I, I realize it's tough with regard to family during the season. Yeah. But let's get started a little bit with uh, with some, some pitching dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, as a college coach now, and with regard to your recruiting, there's a big misconception out here that a lot of high school games do not get scouted or, or watched by college coaches. Mm-hmm. Do you as a staff or do you go out midweek games possibly – to try and see um, student athletes who are, you know, in the midst of their high school season during your Well, season. I'll tell you this. I'm on the way home. I, I kind of pulled over in a Walmart parking lot here to do this thing so I wouldn't get into an accident. But I'm on the way home from a high school game right now. I was at a high school game last night. Um, I think that's a vital part of this process. You know, I, as a staff for us, 
And I think anywhere that I've been, you know, recruiting in season, it, it's kind of a necessary evil. You know, you you got to coach your own guys and you got to, you know, spend your time with those guys in season. Obviously, that's your priority, but it, you can't forget about the recruiting side and, you know, those Mondays and some of those other days that, you know, today it worked out well enough. We were able to practice early and then take off kind of at the tail end of practice, get to a high school game. But that's a huge part of our recruiting process. The summer stuff obviously is important because we do have more time and we can get to all those tournaments and things. But I think there's a lot of value to actually seeing guys play for their high school, especially when you get later in the year, you get some of those bigger games in conference or regionals or state tournaments. Like those are fun games to watch, you know? And I think you how guys handle themselves in those situations, how they perform for their high school team in some of those pressure spots. I love seeing that a heck of a lot more than I do, you know, whatever, some fifth game in three days out on field number 14, you know, that doesn't mean anything because they're already knocked out of the, you know, they can't make pool play or whatever. Um, so I guess yeah, to answer your question, 100%, we recruit high school games we value what we see there. We get out as much as we possibly can within the context of coaching our own guys. And, um, you know, even talking to high school coaches, I think, is a is a vital part of this thing. You know, sometimes those guys are, you know, it ends up being a lot of travel ball stuff and talking to those guys because you're seeing them all summer. But those high school coaches know these guys well. You know, they spend a lot of time with them. And, you know, if we don't get a good report from those high school coaches, man, about what type of worker they are, what type of teammate they are, to me, that's a major part of the evaluation process is making sure we've had a conversation with those high school coaches. Well, I think it's refreshing to actually hear from a parent's perspective that there is a certain level of importance with regard to the high school season, the high school coaching staff, and that, yes, in fact, recruiting does take place during the high school season. Can you, as a, as a, you know, someone from the Northeast that understands the word progression, can you speak to the younger pitchers and, more importantly, their parents mm-hmm. with regard to how you want to kind of get into your season with regard to not only pitch counts and innings but your routines? It is a progression and a buildup. Can you kind of – walk through that as a college coach and how you treat that with your pitching staff yeah. at the college. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a really important topic. Um, I mean, obviously we're lucky, right? Because we have access to our guys really throughout the year and we can kind of control their schedules from a throwing standpoint throughout the entire year, you know, even over this to somewhat extent over the summertime, but certainly during the fall, um, that winter break, obviously they're following a script that we're giving them. And then when they step back on campus and we're practicing as of January 15th, everything's, you know, we can control that process. And I, I think that's sometimes where you run into problems at the high school level where there's a lot more people involved, right? You have this person trying to, you know, on the development side, maybe that they're doing lessons with, you get the high school coach over here. Neither one of those has complete access to that player on a, on a daily basis. So there's obviously a lot more variables, which make it tricky, but also why you need to take control of that process yourself a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I think those guys should be doing it very similar to what college coach, I'm sure we're all, you know, we probably have, 
a little bit different twist to our buildup process, but everybody, like you said, there is a certain progression to it. So for us, um, I'll tell you the one thing that's probably evolved even within the last few years for me is we're, we're not necessarily taking big chunks of time with just putting the ball down completely. You know, uh, we used to take, I mean, sometimes two months without touching a ball at all, but we are getting rest periods in between each one of our phases, you know, so we'll come out of the fall season and we shut guys down at the end of the fall, really depending everybody's a little bit different how much they pitched last year, how much they pitched during the summer, how much we expect them to pitch next spring, you know, where they're at in their development process and how much work they need. Um, But whenever that fall season ends for them, they're going to go into a usually two to three week kind of deload phase where it's very, very light thrown. It's, it's really the replacement for me of not picking up a ball anymore. It's three days a week of just light toss out to, you know, 60, 70 feet just to keep their arm going a little bit. But it's very, very – it's a rest period for their arm. Um, and then, you know, I, I've kind of gone to that so we can have another development phase kind of at the tail end of that fall semester. And that might be different for guys, right? There might be some – just throwing some bullpens and working on pitch development stuff. It might be some delivery, you know, mechanical-type things. You know, for some guys, maybe there's some velo stuff we try to do during that phase, but it's confined to maybe a four or five week window, uh, might be a six week window for certain guys. And then we'll go back into another deload phase where it's really light. You know, there'll be some heavier lifting during that, try to match that up. And then we start our guys, usually, you know, for us, we get them back on January 15th, right? And we have one month to get ready for the season. So if those guys aren't already throwing off the mound and already built up at all you can't get them ready you certainly can't get them ready to start games from january 15th to february 15th so we usually start those guys um you know coming off their deload usually beginning to end of or beginning to middle of december they're starting to ramp on again um and it's all controlled you know they're gradually increasing the the distance, they're gradually increasing the effort level, gradually increasing how many days a week they throw. And it's usually about three weeks of throwing before they get back up off the mound. And then that first mound day is just, you know, 15 pitches, all fastballs. And then we kind of get them into like an in-season cycle there. Um, but they'll, you know, second time out, we'll bump it to 20 pitches and then 25 and then 30. So by the time they come back, into January 15th, my, my expectation is they're ready to throw 30 pitches with hitters standing in there. Usually we don't have the first one, you know, live or anything, just 30 pitches that guy standing in. And then we have another month to build them up to whatever we think their role is going to be. A starter, we're trying to build that pitch count up. We get them to usually about 75 before the season opens up. Um, you know, a reliever, obviously, a little different plan where he might pitch more often. So we're trying to get him ready for shorter stints, but multiple times during the course of a weekend. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, pretty much the, you know, thousand foot overview of that. Um, and then laying on top of that, they're all their work, you know, they're throwing. It's not like they're just throwing their bullpen days, right? They're building up with eventually into long toss usually a a heavier day at some point during the week and then their bullpen day right kind of mapping their recovery days and other throwing days on top of that but um to me it's always about um 
you know, just making sure you do. I always tell the guys, like, don't do more than on the program that day. You should feel good that time of year. And I think guys get into trouble when they feel good. And it's like, oh, I can do a little bit more. I'm going to go a little bit harder. It says 70%, but I feel good. I'm going to go 90% today, you know? Like, hey, it's on there for a reason because, like you said, well, we need to build that thing up slowly. And it's even more important at the high school level. It's more important either, even if you think about guys up north because – they're, you know, they don't have, they're not outside. It's tougher with the arm during the winter time. Right. And you really need to be careful with that buildup process or guys that are playing other sports that maybe they're playing. I played high school basketball myself. I didn't, I loved baseball, but I never picked up a darn baseball or bat until, you know, basketball season ended. Uh, I know it's a different world now with lessons and everything like that, but um, you know, you just got to make sure it's a gradual process and, uh, you know, that goes taking ownership yourself. And then on the coach's front, obviously, is making good decisions about how much you're pushing those guys early in season and giving them a chance to, you know, build up each for us. Like if it's a starter, he's going from 30 pitches. And then, then next, next week, he's got a full week in between. The next week, he's going to 45. Next week, he's going to 60. Next week, he's going to 75. Right. And we almost treat it like an outing every Friday or every Saturday or every Sunday, whatever day that kid happens to be on based on his group but it's 15 pitches at a time which is about an inning you know and we try to we're lucky enough to be outside down here so most of that stuff preseason is done um in an inter-squad setting so it would be two innings um you know 30 pitches then we go like a three inning or 45 pitch outing then a four inning 60 pitch outing five inning 75 pitch outing and then we usually try to back it off once before the season, get them back down to about 50 that weekend before we open up so they feel a little fresher. Um, and then, you know, opening weekend, you know, they should be good for 80 to 85 pitches depending on the kid. Um, you know, that's usually what we'd ask a guy to do if he has a good outing opening weekend. You know, I think it's important, especially for younger student athletes, to kind of hear, you know, a pitching coach, you know, at, a, at the collegiate level discussing – you know, the, the progressions, um, you know, and, and the time parameters associated with them, you know, especially if you're in a cold weather state. And as you alluded to coming off of basketball, you know, your body may feel, you know, good. The arm may feel rested, but, you know, you definitely want to ramp it yeah. up. So I think it's good to, to hear your perspective. Now, with regard to when you're watching a high school pitcher, especially early in the year, um, you know, what's going to, what are you looking for? Not necessarily velocity, I would imagine, but what are you looking for as far as with regard to pitch ability? Like if I'm going out to, to evaluate a game, like hey, go watch a kid tonight. Yeah. Like, what am yeah, I looking if you're for? Going out, if, yeah. What are you looking for earlier in the season? A lot of these warmer weather States have started, but it's still relatively early. Yeah. So as a coach, what are you going out there and, and looking to specifically see from a high school pitcher with, without thinking about velocity? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I think the best way to explain that, I, and I stole this phrase from coach Murphy up there at Merrimack, who, you know, and him and I have worked together a couple of different stops, but it, the way we describe it is we're looking for guys that are difficult to hit against. I, I, and, you know, you know, there's a lot of different elements to that, right? Um, now velocity is one of those, certainly um, early in the season, especially up there. Yeah. Usually you're not going to see, velocity that he might show when the weather starts to warm up and he's fully built up you're not going to see the same velocity as summertime but 
even within velocity, it's not just what numbers does that guy flash. It's like, how well does he hold that velocity, right? How well, how consistent is he with that velocity from outing to outing? Like you go watch one guy's 86, 88, you see him two weeks later, it's 83, 84. Like that worries you a little bit, you know? Um, you know, as a coach, we want to know what we're getting when we put a guy out there on the mound, right? You want some consistency to it. Um, and then what's the projection on the velocity, right? You might see a guy that, you know, hasn't kind of popped on the velo side yet, but the arm works really well. It's a quick arm. It's loose. It's the, the body type, the projection there. Um, that's a huge part of that's way more important than what numbers he's currently flashing. Right. But the velocity certainly is an element that you're going to evaluate partly because it's easy. It's lazy, right? Like nobody can screw up a radar reading, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that thing spits out a number and you write it down. <laughs> right. It's, a, it's right. the same thing on the <laughs> offensive side from a 60 time. Right. And, and that's why you see at the higher levels, like when you go up, it's, there's a little bit more velocity. There's a little bit more foot speed. The game happens a little bit more arm strength in the infield um, because those are the easiest traits to recruit. The rest of it's hard, right? You know that you've done it. Like we all make mistakes right on a hitter that you, you know, caught on a couple good days and maybe he's not as good as you thought you were on the defensive side, or maybe, you know, what that command of a pitcher is like, those things are a lot easier to F up than, you know, the, the velocity or the, or the, you know, the stopwatch or the radar gun. Right. So I think that's the problem. Sometimes us as coaches is we just, we get too reliant on that stuff and we don't trust our evaluation on some of the other things because we know we make mistakes on that stuff. Right. But um, to kind of answer, you know, go back to the question, and go back to kind of what what does it mean to be difficult to hit against outside of the velocity piece? Um, there's a, a lot of different ways, right? And I think that's what guys need to understand is they need to, everybody's different on the mound, right? You don't need to be somebody that you're not. Like play to your strengths, pitch to your strengths. Some guys can be difficult to hit against because they got a ton of movement on that fastball, right? And it gets hitters uncomfortable. Like that's not fun to hit against a guy that can really sink or run that ball in on your hands, right? Um, some guys can be very difficult to hit against because they got a, a really good secondary pitch, right? They got this wipeout slider that they can just get a ton of swings and misses with. Some guys, it's because they command the crap out of it and they're controlling the count all day long, right? I mean, that's typically what wins on a daily basis. And I don't care what – even the guys we roll out who have pretty good stuff, if, if they don't control the count, they're going to be in trouble, Right. So we're, that's certainly something. If you can stay in good counts, which allows you to be a little bit more unpredictable with what pitches that you're throwing, um, that's a huge piece of the puzzle to make it uncomfortable on guys. Um, you know, maybe it's a third pitch, right? You see a lot of guys in high school that are two-pitch guys. And, um, you know, and that doesn't, you know, lots of times you can develop that third pitch in college. But if you show that third pitch, if you can show that you got some feel maybe for a changeup or whatever it is, you know, that's another way to get guys out. That's another thing when they're trying to sit on pitches that, that they have to worry about. It makes it a lot tougher to eliminate certain pitches and counts and everything like that. So, you know, what is, what's that secondary pitch like? What Can he throw it for strikes consistently? Can he throw that pitch in the zone and out of the zone when he's try, when he needs a swing and miss, when there's guys in scoring position and a base open and, you know, he's, he's hunting a punch out. Like, can he get swings and misses? by leaving, you know, making it look like a strike and leave the zone, right? That's, I mean, that's another way to be um, difficult to hit against. Uh, maybe it's some deception, 
right? Maybe it's the fact of some guys naturally hide the ball or have some funkiness with their delivery. Like that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes as coaches, we want to, we look at that, we want to clean it up and say, oh, let's look, make this guy look smooth. But that might be part of what makes him effective and maybe lets that fastball play up and get on a hitter a little bit quicker or what have you. Um, you know, it's every, you know, those are the things we still can't quantify with all our, you know, all the advances in technology, right? We can measure so much stuff now, but we can't measure that deception piece of it, right? And how a hitter actually sees it. Um, so, you know, I, any of those ways, maybe it's a different arm slot, right? Maybe it's a guy with a lower slot that's, you know, it's going to be tougher against those same side hitters. And maybe if he doesn't develop into a starter, it can still be a really valuable piece of that bullpen. So, I think whatever ways you have as a high school pitcher that you can be difficult to hit against, like you want to, you want to pitch to those strengths. You want to show those strengths off. Um, you know, for me, when I'm recruiting guys, like I need to see a couple different ways, right? I think at this level, um, it can't just be one thing. It can't just be a guy that throws hard um, because if he can't do anything else and he can't command it, then he he's not going to be successful here, right? Like that guy that throws hard, he he needs to do something else. He better be able to command that fastball, and then maybe you take a risk on him, right? Or he better have a good secondary pitch, you know, something to that effect. Um, you know, so th- there's got to be a cup. Maybe it's a guy that doesn't have the velocity, but he you know has movement on the fastball and he can throw a change up for a strike at any time, right? That's two different ways that he's difficult to hit against. And then when he gets on campus, now it's my job to develop other ways, right? To, to add that third level uh, layer on top of that. Maybe it's his breaking ball and cleaning that thing up or, you know, fastball slider guy that we get a change up, right. Or that guy that can only pitch to one side of the plate with his fastball. And, you know, we kind of help him learn to get to both sides and maybe elevate the fastball for certain guys. So I guess that, you know, to try to, that idea of being difficult to hit against, that's really what I'm asking myself when I sit there back behind home plate or off to that open side when I'm evaluating a high school pitcher, whether it's high school game, travel ball game, whatever it is, that, you know, is this guy, do the hitters look uncomfortable? Those guys will tell you the most, right? Like you might have a guy that throws 85 that gets a ton of swings and misses, for whatever, maybe it's a deception piece. Maybe it's how the fastball moves or rides. Maybe it's, you know, just where he's able to locate it. And then you see other guys that throw 88 to 90 and they go, they throw five innings and they get two punch outs and five swings and misses, you know? Um, So it's, it's definitely not all about the velocity. I mean, that's one piece of the puzzle, but everything's got to kind of fit together. Right. And it's a sliding scale. How hard do you need to throw? Well, how, well, do you command it? How good is your secondary stuff? And then obviously the the projection side, like I said before, how athletic is he? What is the body type like? Even what is the, you know, what is the parent's body type like when you're recruiting some of those really young kids? Like what's that kid's body going to turn into? Um, so there's a, a lot of different facets to it um, when you're evaluating. So when you're out and you're looking, um, you know, when you're out in your, let's say the this time of year, I remember when you were in Northboro doing some Legion many, many Long time years ago. ago. We had, had good club little, back there. That's why at 2000 oh, Northboro yeah, Legion we, team. Yeah, we right. had some good players. Yeah, yeah, real good. The little lefty. Now, he is the type of guy that 
I, all of us would say you, this guy could help any team at any level you, win ball. You talk, the lefty on that Legion team? Paul yes, Stankus? A little lefty. Yeah, yes. great kid. Great kid. Right. Yeah. Now, would, th- would that type of guy attract you? You know, if you were on the outside looking mm-hmm. in, would that type of a guy attract you as a college coach? I mean, it depends. I mean, yes, he does attract me. Like, you know, obviously I know the kid and, and saw him pitch a ton, right? Um, it depends on what level you're at, right? Um, I mean, that kid, I, I think, dep- you know, if he had gone to certain places, like he would have been a really, really good college pitcher um threw a ton of strikes had a little move, movement on his fastball you know mostly away arm side you know it, um but you know the velocity wasn't big the breaking ball was was just okay but competed his his nuts off right and threw a ton of strikes and i think you know it depends on the level like there is an element like you do need a certain amount of stuff it, again it's a sliding scale right that how many strikes you throw and how competitive you are and all that type of stuff you know, it, it it can it's part of the equation, but you also do need the stuff for certain. You know, not everybody can pitch at Oklahoma or you know Virginia Tech or w- whatever school or East Tennessee State, right? Um, so it's about finding that level. But yeah, he, I think if he found the right level, like he would have been a very very good college pitcher. Now, can you speak to the mental dynamic? of your, not only your pitching staff, but your team, is there a program at East Tennessee with regard to mental routines, uh, focus, how, you know, in and out of difficult situations? Mm. Are you doing that type of work now these days at the college level as a college coach? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, there's a couple different aspects of that, right? It's a vital, vital area. Uh, and you probably you look at guys that, not everybody works out right at the college level, right? And it doesn't happen for, it doesn't click guys fail for different reasons, but a lot of that, you know, if you took that group, you know, 10 guys that it didn't work out for, I bet you that mental side is probably more so the issue, right. Um, than the physical side, lots of times. Now there's a lot of different elements of that. It, it might be just him slowing the game down, out there on the mound, it might be a confidence thing, right? I see that's one of the things I, you know, as I coached at that power five level, those guys have the same insecurities and the same, you know, self-esteem issues as, as guys that were playing Legion ball for us, you know, 25 years ago. Um, And they battle those same kind of issues. So, so yes, I think as a coach, it's certainly part of our job, but it's probably something that gets overlooked. Like we probably don't spend enough time on it. Right. Um, You know, there's also the one element now that you, which helps is there's, that's probably uh, people are more aware of that stuff off the field, right? Some of the, the mental side, the mental health stuff. There's a lot more resources at schools within athletic departments, even, you know, um, whether it's East Tennessee state or we, we actually had a really good uh, department for that at West point, you know, that would come work with the team. They, they would bring them over there. They'd actually meet with the group. You know, they met with our pitchers once a week and kind of talked them through a lot of mental game stuff. And then I would be able to sit in on that and kind of, you know, sometimes those guys need to 
related a little bit better to actually being on the mound. But I think it's some really valuable information. Um, so, you know, I think ways that we try to attack it specifically within the context of practice is, you know, making sure those guys are aware of what their pre-pitch routines are, right? That's just as important to practice during bullpens and, you know, when you're touching the mound in between starts, that's just as important to practice as your delivery. Right? We all want to work on our delivery. We want to work, oh, I got to get my front side better. I got to get my glove here. I got to, you know, shorten up my arm action. Wh- whatever it is that that guy's trying to attack, they spend so much darn time on that. And sometimes that mental side gets overlooked. And, you know, the, the, the ability to just stay in your routines as a pitcher during the course of a game is unbelievably vital, right? And then also to be able to turn the page from failure. You know, that's one of the most important parts of uh, not just pitchers, but the game of baseball. But, you know, pitchers to be able to flush that last pitch, whether it's a pitch you missed with, right? Or maybe you think the umpire didn't call it right. Or maybe you made a good pitch and the guy just capped it into the outfield. Um, to be able to, to flush that when things aren't going well, right. To be at, what's my mechanism to take step off the mound to take a breath. Maybe it's wipe that rubber. Maybe it's take a breath, staring at the foul pole, but I need, you know, I should be able to ask every one of our pitchers when things aren't going well, what's your mental reset, right. And they should be able to answer that to me. They should all be able to answer to me. We have them write it down at the beginning of the season. What's your pre-pitch routine? Like, what do you do from the time that ball is thrown back to you to when you throw the next pitch? And I want it descriptive, right? I, I don't want, Oh, I just get the ball. I step on the mound. I take the sign and I go, it's how do I get back up on the mound? Which foot do I, you know, step up onto the mound with first, right? When do I take my breaths during that process, right? When do I look in for the sign? What do I do from a breathing standpoint after I take that sign? What am I telling? Is there any self-talk in there before I throw a pitch, right? Is there, sometimes it's different with each pitch, but just a reminder of this is what I'm thinking about when I throw this pitch or when I'm throwing to a certain location or something like that. They should be able to describe all that stuff and write it down for you. If they can't, you need to, you know, you need to help them with that, right? Um, the pre-pitch stuff, the the mental flush stuff, that that's a vital part of the process. Like being able to deal with adversity is, again, it's what drives a lot of guys out of the game and it, it, it causes failure at, at every level, not just high division one level, but division three, division two, division one. I worked with, they have, again, worked with all those guys they have the same insecurities right um you know lots of times freshmen you you always that right you recruit a guy and oh you know do you think i have a chance to pitch as a freshman the parents always want to ask that on a on a visit i'm like i don't know like if we did our job recruiting wise you're gonna be talented enough but i you know what what are you gonna what's your makeup gonna be like how how are you gonna be able to handle that time in the fall when you go out there and get whacked right when you don't have it that day and you walk three guys in a row in a false scrimmage, like, are you able to bounce back from that? That's huge, right? One of the one of the things we try to track as pitchers, we call it momentum plays. Every time a guy gets on, what's, what's the percentage of times we get the next guy out, 
right? I think that's a really important stat to look at from a pitching standpoint because it tells us an awful lot about how that kid bounces back, how he mentally processes failure and moves on to the next pitch, right? Next pitch is the most important pitch. I can't dwell on that last one. No different than a play in the field or in a bat, right? So if we're tracking that and we see a guy that, hey, 50% of the time that, that next guy is reaching base as well, well, first off, his numbers probably aren't very good, right? He's probably leading to some big innings and all that. But that's a guy then we probably need to sit down and have a conversation. Hey, what's going through my mind there, right? Now, I'm not a licensed psychologist, but, you know, as a baseball coach, we all play that game, right? We all – that's thrown on our plate. That's one of our many hats that we need to wear. So over the Absolutely. over the course of 20 years, you, you kind of learn some different tricks with that stuff and learn to – talk guys through that process a little bit but it is a really really important part of being a good pitcher when you talk about the mindset of the freshman coming in so i think you know a lot of families and student athletes that find their way to the podcast at later days and times and they start listening in Mm. i think it's it's an important dynamic you know, and, and as a college coach, we, we think we have a good idea who the student athlete is, how they are with regard to their confidence and their abilities. But the college game, regardless of level, yeah. whether we're talking junior college, division three, the, the, the strike zones are different. Yeah. The, uh, the seven through nine hole hitters are, are banging fastballs all over the ballpark. Right. So it's not similar you know, people take away from a travel ball season, oh, these are the same guys I'm going to see at the college level. But, in fact, they're not. So when you're trying to get over that hurdle with a young pitcher as far as, hey, don't be afraid to pitch inside just because that guy got right. you. Don't be afraid. You know, the next guy doesn't mean it's, he's going to, you know, go tank on you. So how do you get into that kind of relationship and that getting the pitchers to relax a little bit as they begin their college careers whether it's in the fall or in the spring yeah no that's a that's a great question uh, if i had the 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 foolproof answer to that i'd, I'd probably be have a, have had a lot more success in my career than i've had right we we all probably have strategies for that and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't but you know i it, it's a really good question it's an important question it's a it's a tough question i i, I think some of the things that you try over the course of time i mean you know first off you, you need to um, try to put those guys in some of those situations as much as possible in practice, right? You need to try to put a little bit pressure on those guys. Now, I know we can't simulate being in a regional at whatever, at Ole Miss with 10,000 people there or something like that. Right? You, you never simulate that thing. But at practice, the more you can do to, like, put pressure in, and have – success and failure associated with things maybe it's hey you know these two guys you know you got these two other guys that are kind of done with their throwing they're kind of doing some of their you know sprint work or arm care stuff or whatever and hey you know this freshman come over here I want you to throw five pitches and for each one you miss you know that guy those two guys are doing 30 yard sprint whatever right little kind of corny things like that I at least can it puts a little pressure on them. Then you see how they deal with that a little bit, right? Some guys, the lucky ones, it never really affects them. Some, most guys try to pretend it doesn't affect them, but it really does, right? And then uh, some guys just, you can see right away when you put them in those situations, they're not very good at it, right? 
Um, so those are the guys you really need to make sure you're trying to talk to. Um, maybe it's things like in a bullpen setting, like, Hey, we're going to do on or head in three years. They get three pitches and they got to execute two of those, right? They got to, maybe it's, I got to throw two out of three strikes with these three pitches and I got to mix. I can't just throw three fastballs. And if they miss now, they got to do, you know, whatever it's a, a sprint down and back in the bullpen. Cause that's going to elevate their heart rate. What happens when I fail? What happens when I start getting nervous on the mound? My heart rate elevates, right? I start sweating a little bit, like get them in that environment. Now bring them back to the mound. And now let's, all right, let's talk through what am I doing from a breathing standpoint, right? What's going through sometimes really the, the best thing is just asking them questions to get, because we can't get in their mind, right? So asking them questions of what is going through their mind, like what what are they actually thinking about right now? And if they can be honest with you on that, then you can help them a little bit, right? You've you've been through that with other guys at some point in your career, and maybe something clicked for that guy. Like I always love asking our pitchers questions, not just about this stuff, but but about everything, right? Like, hey, that clicked right there. Like, what were you thinking about when you? made the correction on that slider, right? Because, you know, we're not, hopefully we help guys too, but sometimes they figure things out on their own, right? So to, to, so if I know what clicked for that guy, whether it's on the mental game or whether it's on his changeup, I can put that in my memory bank. So I have other ways of trying to help other guys, right? But, um, you know, to go back to the mental game stuff, I think it's just putting them in situations, seeing how they react, and then trying to, in a practice, setting in a bullpen setting we can be right there with them and we can actually have that discussion in real time you know which you can't do in a game so i think that's why i think you need to try to attack some of that stuff in a practice in a bullpen setting to give them you know tools you know things in their tool belt that they can take out to the mound with them because when they're out there they're on an island they're on their own right i can't sit there and be in their ear i can't visit them every other hitter when things are going bad, like they, you need to give them those tools that they can take with them out on the mound to attack the mental game. No different than if their changeup isn't working or they can't get their fastball glove side or, you know, whatever the issue is that day. But the, the mental side needs to be part of what you're talking to about with them. I think it's important. And, I, and a lot of parents are asking questions, you know, similar to what I'm asking you and, and they're, they're finding it refreshing that we're actually talking about, you know, the mental component with regard to not only pitching, but baseball as a whole. I, I think what social media has done is there's a lot of people that want to think that the game is easier because hmm. we have more technology. We have more people that understand and are disseminating information than we've ever had before. But in reality, sometimes that complicates things a little yeah. bit more. It's so a- I think, you know, the thing is, is that as a pitching coach, you know, somebody that's played the game, you know, and I have this discussion often with parents, you don't know what it feels like, you know, to, to be a, a student athlete in a big situation, the heart rate begins to race, the breathing gets rapid, your mind just shifts sometimes, most times to the negative. I can't walk this guy. Right. Or I don't want to give up a hit here. Whereas conversely, you take a step off the mound, you, you breathe, you take some of those deep breaths, you start thinking about, okay, a ground ball, the short gets me a double play. You know, putting those types of visual components into your brain as opposed to I can't walk this guy. You know, we fear yeah. walking 
a guy more than we want to compete and pitch to a student athlete. Yeah. So I find it interesting how you explain that. It, now, when you are playing in these games as a coach, do you tend to let your players kind of live it and then reflect on it after the inning is over? Or do you try to get out there ahead of it and, and discuss it with the student athlete while it's going on? Um, you know, like with mound visits and things? Yes, with with regard to a big situation, bases loaded, one out, three hole hitters up. Do you tend to want to let that guy go out there and do it, yeah. you know, naturally, or do you want to go out there and kind of kind of check in on him a little? Bit? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think it probably depends a little bit on who that guy is, right? And uh, you know how much history you have with that guy. Like some guys, you feel like they're well equipped for it, and okay, let's see how this thing figures, you know, plays itself out, and we'll talk about it after the inning. Um, I think probably got guys who are on the younger side or you haven't seen yet in that situation, those are probably the guys that you tend more so to try to get out there and have a discussion with them um, ahead of time, right? Um, and you get a feel for that. Like the advantage of coaching in college, you have a whole fall with those guys, right? It's not a fall sport where you show up on campus, got a game in two weeks. Like you get to know those guys a little bit and know what makes them tick a little bit over the, the six months you have with them before you actually play a game. So if you're doing your job and you're getting to know those guys, by the time you're actually in the heat of battle, you know, you have a little bit of feel for how each guy needs to get coached, right? Um, but in the fall, yeah, we'll go out and we'll talk about, you know, it's, you can do, you know, whatever, unlimited mound visits there, right? Maybe you go talk to him before. Maybe you go out there right after he just gave up a big hit. I think you're – one thing you said, which I, I think is vital, is there's going to be thoughts. Like, that's just the way the mind works. You can't prevent – you can't just have a blank. Like, some people, uh, clear your mind, right? Like, take a brief, deep breath and clear your mind. You can't clear it. <laughs> like uh, for me anyway like my mind's always racing like just let's put something else in there let's put some positive thought in there right lots of times when I go out to a mound visit I try to talk them through what's going to happen right it doesn't always play out that way but it's like hey we're going to throw a first pitch slider you're going to throw that thing down away to this righty he's going to roll it over to short it's going to be a double play ball we're going to get out of the inning right now sometimes you say that and the ball's freaking knocked off the wall right it happens like that you know but you try to give them a picture of the positive you know outcome right and and start to during the course of practices and things start to try to get them to be able to do that to themselves right so when things are going bad i don't focus on those negative things that could that either just happened or could potentially happen let me fill my mind up with the positive outcomes that could come on this next pitch right so i'm looking forward to this next pitch and i can almost visualize that outcome being positive rather than oh man i i hope like you said i hope i you know actually throw a striker i hope i don't sail this one or you know leave it back over middle of the plate like those negative thoughts aren't going to do anybody any good you know um but it is it's a it's a hard game man you know that you played like it's i don't care what level you got to right and, and even guys that got to the highest level like it becomes even harder and harder and harder and i think you know sometimes we forget that as coaches i try not to i have plenty of problems as a player right? i had all kinds of things i, I had to clean up so it, it's 
but that's what makes it a great game too, right? I mean, that's why this game is, I think, is the best and why it prepares guys for life because we know in life all this crap's going to get thrown at you, right? And the problem with these kids as they step on a college campus, most of them haven't had a ton of adversity in life, right? Like they've been, the you know, this great high school athlete. Everybody loves up, right? They're dating some cute girl. They you know, they're probably smart in the classroom, whatever, like they've all always had, you know, they haven't dealt with some of the realities that as they get older, life's going to throw at them. We all, all been through, nobody lives a perfect life, right? We all have these challenges that you need to deal with. And, you know, I, honestly, I think that's one of the biggest things that, that they take away from this game. If, if we're doing our job as coaches is coping mechanisms to, to kind of take all the crap that life throws at you and move on from it and keep living your life and be positive about it, you know, and cherish the, the good things that happen in your life. Right. I, those, that, those are really important skills to develop while you're in college. And that's, is part of our job to, you know, to give these guys a good experience that that's, has a lot, you know, winning helps the experience, right? Becoming a better baseball player helps the experience, but the mental side and learning to deal with failure, that's a big part of giving these guys, you know, the proper experience as a college baseball player. I truly believe that. Well, one of the things that I always find uh, myself when I, when I'm talking with families is getting them to understand that what we're really doing is, as college coaches is we're preparing young men for life yep. you know at every possible turn meaning whether that's your professional life your personal life with regard to your family becoming a leader within a family you know as a dad uh, those types of things and and it happens in those moments when we're facing that you know those that adversity staring us right in the face. And so I think, you know, to, to kind of create this picture of everything happens at college is just a bunch of cut up oranges and Gatorade. And we go out and we, you know, kind of go play. It's a long season. It's four years worth of lots of ebb flow ups, downs, peaks, valleys. And, and you're describing it almost perfectly for, for parents. Um, the, the one thing that I do want to ask you, uh, just as a coach, not specifically to do with pitching. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're in the midst of your season, can you speak to how the evolution of players with regard to development? Meaning, it's not how you come in and how you start. It's okay to have a hiccup. It doesn't mean that you're going to be you know in the doghouse for four years. There is a development component yep. to becoming a college student athlete can you just talk about you know from the freshman year and that flow of physical maturation and then the skill sets kind of syncing up so uh, the transfer portal is the question mm. you know with all these student athletes in the transfer portal you know what's to stop it from continuing but and just speak to the dynamic of going into college with the right mindset of allowing the coach to truly develop your skill sets both mentally and physically yeah, that's you know a whole lot in that in that question and in trying to answer that. Um, you know, I think there's two sides to that you got the player side, which I think you might be talking about a little bit more, like you know the mindset that they have when they come in. But it's also the the coach's side, right? Like we need to stay focused on the development piece of it and continue to understand that these guys aren't going to be. 
a finished product when we get our hands on them as freshmen or even a junior college guy that might come in the first year. Like there is a process and sometimes we need to have a little bit of patience with that process as coaches. You know, that's honestly one of the things I love about the the mid-major level and certainly the division two, II, division three level. It, it's a little led. Now, listen, we, there's pressure on us to win in, in our contracts and all that stuff, but it's a, it's a little bit different. Like you can, you can live through peaks and valleys with kids a little bit more um, than you can, you know, at maybe some of the power five places, right? You, you can, a kid that has a tough fall, like he doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, run out of the program, right? Like you, you can develop that kid if he's a good kid and you believe in him and all that kind of stuff. So I, I do love that about the mid-major level. Um, so it, it goes, but, you know, the coaches need to be part of this as much as the players. But I think from a player standpoint, it, you know, part of it is understanding that, you know, some of the stuff we were talking about before, right? It's a very difficult game. You're going to have failure and they haven't experienced that much is specifically on the field. Like they, most of those guys that come into you, at the division one level, particularly haven't had much failure on the baseball field. So they need to understand that piece of it, that it's not going to be perfect. They're going to have Rocky moments. They're going to have, you know, times that they are questioning themselves. They're going to have times that they don't, they feel like they're not a very good player. Hey coach, you know, they start questioning whether coach likes them or not because they're not playing well or whatever. They're not playing a lot or whatever it happens to be. Um, so that that's part of it, but then also being open to being coached, you know, I think that's a huge part of it. Like you need to allow that guy to, you know, make adjustments with you. It, and it, it's, it's sometimes tougher these days because guys are actually coming in, I think a lot more knowledgeable on the game, right? There's a lot better individual instruction out there right now that these guys have access to when they're in high school than there was 20 years ago, you know, and these guys are doing their, you know, parents have put a lot of money into it. They're saying, Hey, I'm doing this lesson once a week and this lesson once a week. And I'm going to my strength guy and I'm going to my speed guy. And there's all kinds of people out there. Right. So they're actually coming in. Um, they're coming in very, a lot more knowledgeable, I would say, but they got to understand like there's still a lot of ground to make up. Right. And they need to be willing to try different things. Maybe that they haven't done before. Um, it, we tell all uh, the one thing I ask our pitchers, like, I, like when I ask you to do something, I want you to try it. I want you to give an effort. If it's not working for you over a week or two, we're, we'll scrap it. Right. You know, whether it's how we're trying to grip a certain pitch or something with our delivery or, you know, movement pattern or something like that. But, you know, sometimes they're, if they're not willing to try those things, they're really holding back their development process because some of those things you try with them are going to click and it's going to make a big jump for them and it's it's going to really elevate their game. So they do need to have a really open mind. No different than coaches need to be open to some of this new technology, right, and, and new ways of doing things and maybe even new ways of coaching guys, right? You, I mean uh, – I'm definitely not one of those coaches. It's like, ah, oh, guys are soft these days. But you, you do need to coach a guy a little bit differently, right, than you needed to do 20 years ago, right? There's different oh, yes. expectations out there. Guys are handled differently from the time they're born right now. 
um, as far as how society treats them and everything. There's different expectations from our bosses, right? From, from athletic directors, administration of what you can and what you can't do. Like those, those things are all, you got to understand that as a coach. So I think it goes both ways, right? We need to keep an open mind. We need to try to understand the current environment, the current culture, um, and even each individual kid, right? Everybody comes from a different family. Everybody you know, needs to be coached slightly differently. Not that you're playing favorites or this, and, but you got to try to coach that individual, right? As much as you can and uh, learn how he learns, learn how you need to communicate with him, right? Some guys you can get on more, some guys you can't. Some guys you can get on uh, in a one-on-one environment. Like you can rip a kid in a one-on-one meeting and he takes it great. But if you do that, when there's two other kids around, man, that dude shuts down for two weeks, you know? Um, so I think those are things, it's a challenge on both sides. It's the coaches and it's the players, but both of us need to keep an open mind to, you know, uh, like just that growth mindset, like that we're, we're continuing to learn. They're continuing to learn. We're trying to figure this thing out together. It's not always going to be perfect, right? We're not, there's going to be times where we're, we get frustrated with the player. There's going to be times when the players get frustrated with the coaches, but as long as we trust each other, we know we have the same goals. We should be able to continue that development process in all phases, right? On the field, off the field, the mental side, everything. You know, I'm looking, uh, I've kind of been following the squad for a few weeks. You're out of conference schedule. You haven't had any conference games yet. Right. You're out of conference schedule is pretty, pretty aggressive. You ACC, SEC, you know, you get some, some big boys in there. Talk to me about mid-major baseball. What's the perception and what's the reality? Because now you look around and you see uh, Texas State, and Liberty, and some of these other programs, not, not only in the top 25, but, you know, they're beating some some, you know, big boy schools on, a, on a, what looks to be like a fairly regular basis. So yeah. when you're at a mid-major school, having been at a, you know, what everybody likes, the sexy word of P5, right. you know, what's the mid-major mentality like? Um, when you're out recruiting, do you get the response, you know, who is East Tennessee? What, I mean, <laughs> how does it work for you as, as a recruiting coordinator in your past uh, now dealing with it at East Tennessee? It, yeah. Those, it, I, there's probably some funny stories. I, I'll never forget. I was, so we were, it was at William and Mary. So we're going back, whatever, 10 years ago. So we had just come off of, you know, went to a regional down at NC state. We beat Ole Miss twice in a regional. And, you know, had great, your best year in the history of the school, right? You, you feel great about yourself. First weekend on the road, I remember, I went out to Virginia Tech to watch a tournament out there and see a couple guys and um, had, you know, I don't know who it was, a fan, a parent, whoever it was, comes up and yeah, WM on that. He's like, you know, what, what's what's WM? I'm like, oh, you know, William and Mary. He's like, oh, do you, you guys have baseball there? It's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, are, are, what, you guys Division three? I'm like, oh man, like nobody, <laughs> nobody cares, you know. <laughs> um, you know, and the same stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, outside of you know, obviously you wear an OU on your chest. Everybody knows what that is, but there's a handful of places like that. Most of the rest of it, nobody cares, you know, um, until they get into that process and they start learning. There's some amazing mid-major programs. I think over the last 
15 years. I, what has it been since they kind of changed that, all the rules? with uh, That was probably, what, 2008, 2009, when they put the roster right. limits yeah, in right place. And, 2008. You know, yeah. um, the 25% rule. I, I do think that had a very positive impact on mid-major baseball. You know, those power fives no longer could carry 60 guys, and, you know, they no longer could – dump guys at the semester and trade them out with some junior college kids in January and everything. Like I think some of those really talented players started to funnel down to the mid-major level. And you've seen since that time, right? You've seen programs like Coastal Carolina. You see, I mean, our, you know, Joe Panucci here, our head coach at ETSU, like was a big part recruiting all those guys at, um, at Stony Brook that went to the World Series, went to Omaha in 2012. I mean, what an amazing experience for those guys, right? Kent State, you know, programs like that. You know, I think there's been more of those stories in the last 15 years that because those rules were put in place. And the other thing that's helped it, it is the early recruiting, honestly. Like those, those Power 5 guys, there's so much pressure to get those, you know, those 14 and 15 year olds, right? You see these 24, 25, 26s committing to these schools. Now, the earlier you go, man, I don't care how good we are, or how good we think we are at this recruiting thing. The earlier you go, the more mistakes you're going to make, right? So when those guys tie up a lot of their resources, scholarship money-wise, roster spot-wise, and things like that, and kids develop at different times. I do think that, you know, especially the last couple of years with COVID and there's been so many good players later on in the process because guys develop at it's, it's such a weird sport, right? The, the, when you're trying to recruit guys before their body really develops, it's so hard to make those adjustments. So some guys are at their best when they're, you know, 12 years old, right. And they're playing a little league world series and, they th there's this great player, right? And they're going to get recruited by Texas and whatever, and they never get any better, right? And some guys, it's like, man, they're still uncoordinated, awkward. They haven't figured out their body yet, and they're now they're 15, 16. They're not getting recruited, but all of a sudden it clicks for them, and they're a junior, they're a senior in high school, and, man, that kid turns into a really, really good player. And a lot of those guys now end up at that mid-major level. Heck, some of those guys end up at junior colleges, right? If it's a, maybe another year before they, they click and make that jump. And, the, you know, you see, it's why so many mid-majors and, and even power five guys recruiting out of some really good junior colleges, because there's so many players that they just need that extra time or they need that, that time out on the field to develop, right? Which is sometimes better for guys than going somewhere and sitting for two years where they can go and play and be in a really good junior college program and compete for something and get better. And, and they do deal with a little bit of the competition piece, right? Like we got, you know, Walter state here and, you know, close by that we have some guys from, they got a great junior college program. Like it's not easy to play there. Like it, that's not a, junior college show oh, anybody can go to a junior college and play like that's competitive as heck right to crack that lineup so they've been through that a little bit they've been hardened by the process some of those guys are a little bit better at dealing with the failure that that is associated with college baseball um but anyway i think i think the early recruiting and some of those rules that were put in place 15 years ago i think those things have really helped the mid-major level and then you have the money side of of the resources right there's some some mid-major programs that are really doing a good job of supporting their baseball programs through the facility piece fundraising wise i mean for us we we got a gorgeous facility here um 
down here in Johnson City. We got a, a brand new, you know, our athletic director, you know, has helped kind of fundraise some money and put this project in. We're actually adding um, onto the stadium this summer, built three indoor cages, brand new locker room, coaches offices in there right at the field. I mean, it's going to be gorgeous. And, you know, that's something we'll, we'll have that done, I think, for next fall. So it, it, it's no longer just these power fives that are dumping money in and have nice and there's some great places facility wise that really support their baseball program where they got some really, really good teams. So um, it's fun to go and compete. Like you mentioned our schedule, you know, we we're in a good location. We're pretty close. We can play Tennessee every year and Clemson and Virginia tech. We go out uh, in about uh, a, another week or so we head out to Baylor for a weekend. You know, we're going to Oklahoma state for a series next year. Like, that stuff's great because you, you you get to test yourself against the best, right? Find out how good you are. That's part of why we do this, right? We want to, you know, we're all competitive. We want to find out what kind of job we've done with our team and how good we are. And, you know, when you play teams like that, you find that out in a hurry. And you also find out what you need to work on. And um, I think it's really important to add some of those type of, from a scheduling standpoint, it's really important to have some of those type of games on the schedule you know and our guys love playing those i mean heck they love going to tennessee we played them a couple weeks ago great environment we lost i don't know it's five to one but i thought we played all right we four to one one, you know we we competed really well i thought we played well and you know they obviously got a really good team and they beat us but it was a great environment especially tennessee for our guys right a lot of those guys think i should have got recruited by tennessee or I was going to Tennessee and then, you know, I got decommitted and whatever, you know, so there's plenty of motivation from a, uh, you know, from, for our guys to play in games like that. But no, those games are fun to have on the schedule. So when do you, when does East Tennessee state, when do you guys do your camp? So for parents, I, I have a lot of people that are asking me, you know, do you recruit out of your camps? When do you tend to host or have your camps on campus? Yeah, yeah, everybody does. I mean, every college, you know, program now, it's a big part of things. I mean, it's dual. I mean, we all know that certainly there's a financial element to that, right? Like that's supporting, you know, volunteer salaries and things like that. So it's something you got to do. But I think they are an important piece of recruiting as well, you know, Um it's a chance for us to interact with guys on a much different basis than um, than we can do when we go watch him play, right? I can watch this kid tonight and see him from 100 feet away or whatever, and I can get a little bit of feel for who he is, but nothing like actually being out there in the bullpen with him or working on a pitch with him, right, or just be able to have a conversation with him and get a little bit of feel for – you know, what type of kid is. So it's almost like a visit like that. It's part of what you're evaluating when you bring a kid on a visit, right, is – who he is as a person, what's the family like, what's that kid's makeup like. Um, you can do a little bit of that at a camp more so than you can when you're just out recruiting somewhere. So we do, yeah, we I mean, we recruit out of those things a lot. Like sometimes you get lucky and it's a kid you don't know about that shows up and, and he's good, right? Lots of times we invite guys to our camps that we maybe have seen once or we got a recommendation from somebody like if – you know, I mean, you do a great job up there of, of feeding names and things. If there's a guy that we get from the Northeast that, um, you know, we, we hey, the video looks great. All the recommendations check out. But you want to see a guy with his, with your own eyes. You know, those are great opportunities. Invite that kid down to camp. He, he gets a chance. It kind of kills two birds too, right? He, 
he gets a chance to see the place to see I, it, the city's awesome. Most people that you ask from up north never been to Johnson City, Tennessee. Place is unbelievable. Uh, so they get a chance to see that. They see the campus. They see the facilities, and then we get to see them firsthand. There's no all this video stuff. I know we went through COVID, and guys are having to make decisions off a of video. Like there's no replacement for seeing a guy in person. You know, I think the recruiting side, some of it's a beauty is beauty's in the eye of the beholder a little bit. Everybody likes a little bit different stuff. So the more you can see a guy in person, the more, the better decisions you're going to make, right? If it's just one time at a game, sometimes you can get fooled. If you can get that guy back to your campus for a camp, get a second look at him, it's always beneficial. Or, you know, lots of times what happens in these camps is guys will come down and you didn't know about them and they, they kind of catch your eye and maybe not enough to like walk out of that camp with an offer, right? That's a hard thing to do. Just come in unknown, never seen before and walk out with a scholarship offer. But lots of guys like, you know, camps that we have over the winter time, like that's a lot of guys we're going out in the spring to see, right? Like they played at a camp at our place in, in December, in January and, hey, this is a chance to go out and see him in a high school game because we liked what we saw in the camp. So it does help you kind of put your list together for the spring and early summer of who, where you're trying to go and who you're trying to see. But we, you know, the most programs, same with us, we don't really run anything during the spring. We're too busy, obviously, with our season. But once our season gets done, you know, um, we would have stuff in the, I think starting the end of June is when we start running our camps. We do a lot of one day prospect type camps. I think we have them in June, July, August. We do a two day one in August and that would all be on our website. Um, you know, that they can go to, right. You know, if you just go to our baseball page, there'll be links to that. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a great, it, you can't go out visit every camp, right. If you're advising guys on, you know, this process, you can't go spend tens of thousands of dollars going to every college camp. But when you do narrow things down and you know, Hey, these are the four or five schools that I, I've done my homework. I think that they're a fit for me from an academic standpoint, location standpoint, what, you know, what I want to study. I think I can play there, right? I've talked to people that have seen me play that are helping me with this process. They think I can play at these schools those those college camps can be a really really valuable part of the recruiting process to get on guys radar screen if you do the right if you do your homework up front and go to the right camps right absolutely so i have a one last question for you are you okay with student athletes and or parents, families contacting you via social media or emails if they have an interest in East Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, heck, I'm kind of – I'll be honest with you. Like, when it first started coming around where guys are DMing you on Twitter and stuff, I'm like, what is going on here? You know, like, I mean, I've you know, we recur a long time without that stuff. But you know what, man, that that ship has sailed. Um, I think the the – social media piece it's part of the landscape right now like we see names on there all the time i i probably do more of it than i should i sit there at night and um you know i got the office on or i got some stupid college game on that i don't care about and i'm just scrolling through twitter and i i see a name i, I bookmark that right and i follow up on it the next morning or uh, maybe it's from a program that you're familiar with you shoot that coach a text you know hey is this guy worth talking to or whatever um so, yeah, we get a lot of names through social media. And as far as guys reaching out, 
Yeah, hundred percent. I don't. I don't mind. You know, make it quick, right? Don't. I don't need some forty-minute, you know, thing I got to read through on my DM. But you know, hey, if it's a hey, coach, I just want to let you know I'm interested in the program. Here's some video on me. What year I? You know, just the basics. What year I am? Height and weight. You know, maybe if you're a pitcher, like what some of your, you know, what you throw for pitches, and if you have velo numbers with it. And then here's a link to some video or here's some video that you put in there. I, I'm a hundred percent good with that. And we, we try to, you know, I'll be honest. I, I, I wouldn't say I follow with a hundred percent of that stuff. Cause you get busy. I'm not sure if I lost you or you lost me. Can you hear me oh, again? Still I can hear you. I can hear you. Yeah. Do I have you back? You may have lost Jamie. Oh, hold on. Oh, you got yeah, me. There I, you go. I okay. was at me. Okay. Yes, okay. I'm sorry. I yeah, it, it could have been me. It, it's it's okay. It's technology at its finest. <laughs> but I, I do want to I do want to say thank you. There is a pitcher that I, I guess is blowing my direct messages up. He's going to contact you. His last question before we said good night. Yeah. If he is a twenty twenty two, is there any hope, or does he have to go to junior college? Now this is a six foot seven right handed pitcher. Yes. 90-92. That's what he's telling me. Is there still room at the end if somebody if, were to meet certain criteria? If, it, if they meet the criteria, I would say we you never shut off um, a class. You know, like obviously it's tight right now with 22s and it's tight with spots. It's tight with, you know, money and things like that. But there's always things that happen. you just never know. Like that's the tough part. I think coaches – get a little bit of a bad rap for sometimes is like when oh well they have this look at how many guys are on their roster well we don't know we got we got four pitchers this year that they could get drafted right that are underclassmen like i you know for me to sit there and say well am i gonna not fill any of those spots and and then all four of those guys get drafted and we get left shorthanded next year like you don't want that to happen right so you're always trying to know who those guys are you can go to so I don't think it's ever too late. You know, it's obviously the stuff has to match up and things like that. But, you know, six, seven, ninety, ninety two. I think there's probably a, pl- a probably room at a lot of places for a guy like that. If he throws <laughs> strikes, right? Exactly. Correct. Well, I want to let you get home and get on your way. Cause I know you've taken a, an hour out of your midweek schedule for us. And I greatly appreciate it. And I will tell you as, as a friend, I will tell all the parents and student athletes that were able to listen tonight. There's none better. There's a lot of coaches that I interact with, that Butch and I interact with. Jamie Penzino, one of the world-class gentlemen and coaches within the game of college baseball. And so, Jamie, I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to to speak with us tonight and share your thoughts and insights as it pertains to not only college baseball, but East Tennessee State University. So thank you very much. Uh, Best of luck the rest of the week. I appreciate the kind words, Walter. I really, really enjoy catching up with you, man. Always good to hear your voice. We'll stay in touch and we'll talk real soon.